1: Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Today we have a super exciting episode and also another sad one in yeah. many, many ways. Um, <laughs> we'll start off by talking about the performance of the Democrats in uh, Virginia. Recently, you know, there were a number of elections, uh, you know, local and state elections around the nation and Democrats pretty much universally did shit. Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about, uh, we're doing kind of a, medium dive on like taxes in the United States and basically putting forward the argument that in a lot of ways, our tax system is pretty regressive. Yeah. Um, And finally we'll talk about, um, do a little bit more of a, you know, theoretical conversation about party affiliation and ourselves as like voters and party identity and like how that all fits together. Yeah. So I I have to say, I'm super excited. Like I, I just want to say like, Every week before I get on the pod, you know, I'm researching. I've, it's after work. I'm pretty tired. But pretty much as soon as I hop on here with you, dude, <laughs> like I get just like a burst, like a rush of energy. Yeah. It feels so good.
0: Yeah. Now, same here. Because I my Thursdays are always very long days. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm teaching all day. And then I come straight from my class to here. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like that. It's that final injection before going to bed. So, uh, so I'm excited yep. about tonight. There's a lot of topics that I'm excited to talk about. Uh, there might be a little bit of raging, but we will see. Yeah, we'll we try see. to keep
1: that uh, at least fact based.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what else is fact based? What? The COVID numbers. Perfect.
1: So far in the world, we've hit 249 million cases, which is up from 246 million last week. So that's 3 million new cases in a week or about 430,000 new cases per day, which is the same level we've been at uh, for the last few weeks. Um, so far, deaths have hit 5.04 million, up from 4.99 million. So that's, that's, um, so that's 50,000 new deaths or about 7,100 deaths per day. Um, In the world so far, we've hit 51.2% of the population with one dose of the vaccine, um, which is up from 50.2% of the population last week. So that's just a 1% increase, which is pretty disappointing because that's like, you know, that's like on the level of just like the United States crappy 1% increase, which we've been doing for months. Um, For a while there, like vaccinations were spreading much more quickly around the globe. Hopefully this is just a blip and we get back to. Quickly spreading the vaccine soon. Mm. In the US, we've hit 47.2 million cases, which is up from 46.7 million cases last week. So that's 500,000 new cases in a week, or 71,000 new cases per day. Again, pretty much exactly the same spread that we had from the week before. Um, in terms of deaths, we've hit 772,000 in the United States, which is up from 763,000 last week. So that's 9,000 new deaths in a week or about 1300 deaths per day, which is up from 1100 deaths per day from the week prior. Um, at this point in the United States, 58% of the population is fully vaccinated with 67% having at least one dose. Um. So, in terms of full vaccination rate, that's actually flat from last week. So, 50, it was 58% last week, too. And we're up 1% with at least one dose. So, you know, a few more people have gotten their first stick. Uh, but in terms of full vaccination rate, you know, that stayed flat week over week.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's the COVID numbers. Might be my fastest one yet. Yeah. I'm going to try getting faster and faster. Just yeah. blow right through it as long as the news doesn't keep changing with slow, vac- slow vaccination spread, consistent spread, death's still going. Well, hopefully that, like- <laughs> hopefully that
0: news will be changing pretty soon because there will be a nice bump in the overall COVID numbers after uh, you, they start giving it to kids.
1: Yes, hopefully, that is a great point. So um, maybe that So I'll walk through it much slower when, <laughs> when the news changes. Yeah. So maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe maybe that'll be the, the bump we need to get to the herd immunity, but but we'll see. Uh, it's pretty
1: exciting for me because I've got some people in my family that are in that age range yeah. so they're now able to be protected Yeah,
0: I, uh, I, 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 I'm in the same boat and I'm excited that they're going to be protected uh, soon as well um, and again this is the type of thing that we need in order to get to that point where we reach herd immunity and the, yeah. the sooner that we reach herd immunity the sooner that we can stop wearing masks everywhere we go
1: Mhm. So, it's an exciting time.
0: Yeah. Although that might be delayed in Virginia. So, Virginia didn't go well. We uh <laughs> <laughs> it really didn't go well. Uh Republicans yeah. won back the House of Delegates. They won the governorship, they won the attorney general, they won the lieutenant governor. That's pretty much as much <laughs> as they could have won. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they picked up 5 seats in the House of Delegates. Um, You know, all 100 seats were up for grabs, so I guess, great, we held on to 45, Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, lost the governorship 59.9% to 48.4%, and that could bode really poorly for mask mandates and and overall protection.
0: Yeah, one of the big things that Yunkin ran on was, I will do everything I can to make sure that the fact that Virginia is in, like, the top 10 lowest COVID rates— I'll do everything I can to keep that to from change continue, that, to change that. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, he, he came out against, uh, I, well, he, he came out against vaccine mandates, requirements, uh, mask mandates in, in, in schools. And look, I've been very careful about my support for a hard mandate. I think that a hard mandate should be a last resort, but this guy is against soft mandates in schools. Or soft mandates for employment. Not even the—he's not even for the ones where it's you have to get it or you have to get tested. He's not even mm-hmm. for that, and he's even directly passed on talking points in which he straight up said, "Yeah, there are very legitimate reasons why people should be concerned about the vaccine." No, they're fucking not. No, they're fucking uh, is. Fuck that, Jesus. Like,
1: but that's the thing. All of those policies appeal directly to not only like dedicated Trump voters but like people closer to the center that are just exhausted with all this shit. Yeah. You know, like the dedicated Trump voters think that you know, you know, the vaccine is crazy but COVID's a hoax so it's fine. Um and the more central center people are like, well, you know, I may or may not have had my vaccine at this point, but I'm just exhausted of having, being told what to do all the fucking time. And so, (laughs) you know, having to get tested and all that stuff.
0: Now, I don't think that that's the central reason, um, but I think that was definitely something that kept a lot of the Trumpists in line. So I guess in this segment, I I want us to talk about, first off, why did this happen? I'm, what it means, and how we can prevent it in the future.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Or at least the lessons that should be learned that are almost definitely going to be ignored by every single democratic strategist in existence. So first off, let's talk about why this happened. So I would say that this happened for two main reasons. The first reason is that Terry McAuliffe... Tried to nationalize a state election during a time in which the National Democratic Party is failing its ass off. Now, I feel like there there have been a lot of pundits that have been saying like, "Oh, this is this is progressives' fault in Congress," and then others that would say, "Oh, this is Mansion and Cinema's fault." Okay, in terms of the fight over infrastructure, I would say you know 100% mm. Mansion and Cinema's fault. But the yeah, thing no is, if your party, regardless of who's to blame, if your party is failing on a federal level, then don't draw attention to it.
1: Yeah, it's going to hurt you locally unless you can somehow distance yourself from them.
0: Yeah. So the issue is—so I actually—today, I, I went on to Terry McAuliffe's YouTube, and I went through all of the ads that he did. There were about 35 mm-hmm. ads— Of them, 15 of them mentioned Donald Trump. 15 of them. Yeah. Yeah. He is no longer president. And Glenn Youngkin is not Donald Trump. I'm sorry. He's not. He sucks. He's terrible. He's going to be a shitty fucking governor, but he's not Donald Trump. Yeah. All right. He is not Donald Trump. And calling him Donald Trump was never going to work. Making this about Donald Trump when Donald Trump is not even in office. Was not going to work.
1: Yeah, I I, I just want to I want to double down on these points because I think they're so important. I think to some extent I don't like I, I agree that Terry McAuliffe misallocated resources and strategy by trying to focus on you know Yunkin as Trump. And I think we talked through that a little bit. I think let us pat ourselves on the back. We did a good job of predicting some of the key features of how this election came out. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think like one of the things we talked about is that like, you know, uh, you know, um, dedicated Republican voters who are going to support Youngkin, you know, we're going to vote for him. They don't like Biden. It's a big motivator for them is they don't like Biden. Dedicated Democrats, a big motivator for them is they don't like Trump. Great so you're both able to talk directly to your base congratulations the problem a huge problem was that was two things to your point i think it's both both of your things hit right on the same group of voters one independent voters or people that weren't decided in the polls weren't buying that yunkin is trump mm. they just weren't believing it yeah only 41% uh think that yunkin supports trump like just the right amount 13% he should said he should support him more so 54% of independents say that he should you know that they they like the amount that he supports Trump right so like they they don't think that he is the reincarnation of him and and those that were may have shied away from Trump think that Yunkin is a, a good mix so they really it's they just don't believe that line so to your point that was not going to work secondly like by trying to nationalize the conversation by focusing on Trump, it casts McAuliffe in the position of Biden. And, you know, great. Like, Biden took the state handily against Trump, but that was against Trump, um, first of all. And second, you know, Trump as a particularly bad candidate in Virginia, causing Virginia to go blue, like, handily for the past, you know, almost decade... But then, but then at the same time, to your other point, Biden is really unpopular. Approximately one in eight, 12.5% of 2020 Biden voters now disapprove of the job he's doing. He's lost tremendous ground in this state. So when you cast yourself as somehow a local version of Biden by contrasting yourself to a local version of Trump, when people, when the, you know, the people you're trying to convince don't really believe he's Trump, it's just a lose-lose strategy. And at the, at the same time, though, like, I think McAuliffe could have done a lot more to distance himself from that conversation, you know, by, like, you know, not leaning into it. Yeah. At the same time, I think he was naturally going to be at a disadvantage, right, because he's un, he's just another, like, white, old, male Democrat <laughs> who yeah. looks and acts and talks a lot like Biden, And so, like, you know, we may have been locked into that comparison. (laughs) Yeah. But we may have been locked into that comparison um, straight out of the gate from the primary. Yeah. But again, like, we're, you know, there's not a huge percentage difference here. Like, small things could have made
0: a big difference. Yeah. Now, I, look, I, I voted for Lee Carter in the primary. I think he would have been the best candidate. But honestly, I think that any of the other candidates, literally any of them, could have won this The issue is Mm. Terry McAuliffe is a known quantity and what he is known for is being a corporatist, being corrupt, Mm. and not really getting much done during his time as the governor. Now, to be fair to him, part of that could have been (laughs) the Virginia General Assembly was controlled by Republicans and... The last two years, it's been controlled by Democrats, which has allowed Ralph Northam to get some things done. But still, he was really not a very effective governor. He was just kind of there. He just kind of ran things. There's not much that he really did. So I think that kind of brings us to another issue, which is the fact that some of his ads did focus on things that he wanted to do. So I think that in, in some of his ads that I went over, they actually were pretty good. They were they had mm. fairly good instincts. But there was too much of this is what I did and not enough of this is what I will do or mm. this is what we will do. So yeah. like what he needed to do was draw attention to the fact that under Democrats in their control of the Virginia state legislature, under Democrats, we passed tuition-free community college. We raised the minimum wage. We abolished the death penalty. We expanded Medicaid. We expanded unions. We did all of that. We expanded collective bargaining.
1: Yeah. God, those are such winning, popular
0: achievements. Those are such, yeah. Achievements. Those are such Jesus. popular achievements. And the focus should have been, look at what we've done. We've delivered on yeah. the promises you elected me as yeah. governor. We're gonna keep doing this, all right? Yeah. That especially have been because the primary focus, especially because like the main thing
1: Youngkin had, and in his background, like a lot of people just concluded that he, as the Republican who was a businessman, would have been great for the economy. So, like, for people that are still struggling in this COVID pandemic and 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 you know still trying to make it through, like the economy is really important. Uh, and so, like, he could have by focusing on those like core like public good economic populist like achievements and saying, we're going to go do more. That seems like a huge win relative to look at this Trump bad guy over
0: here. Yeah. So that's, so that's the first big thing. He should have focused more on Virginia state politics and the Virginia democratic party and the successes that they've mm-hmm. had. Cause they've been successful. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There are lots of things yeah. that, They should have done that I wish they had done. I wish they had gotten rid of right to work. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that they did do that should have made running so easy. It should have made Mm -hmm. winning in Virginia a state which Biden won by 10 points. It should have made it easy. But no, the focus was Trump. The other focus, and this is the other reason why I think he lost, he completely took the bait on the culture war. Completely
1: mm. hook line. We've talked about so many times as yeah. a losing
0: conversation. And let's be clear about one thing. When we say that when we say don't take the bait on the culture war, we are not in any way saying on policy stop talking about it or give up. Obviously that's not what we're saying. You know, you still fight for things like uh, employment protections for trans people. You still fight for things like anti-racism laws. You, you still fight for things like abortion, uh, mm-hmm. making sure police reform, police reform,
1: ending mass incarceration, all those All
0: things. of those things. But what you don't do is completely take the bait on the straw man that the Republicans are yeah. going to paint you as, all right? And Terry McAuliffe did that hook, line, and sinker. Now, one of the biggest examples, and this is actually something we did talk about previously, was the conversation surrounding critical race theory in Virginia. Now, yeah. I want to make one thing absolutely clear. The straw man that, that, that Republicans paint of critical race theory is complete bullshit. Mm. Critical race theory is not about, hey, you, kid, you're white, you should hate yourself. That's not what it's about, all right. That is not what it's about at all.
1: Number two. Wait, I thought the sixteen nineteen project stood for one thousand six hundred nineteen kids that hate
0: themselves. Is that not it? Oh no, my it's, it's, god! It's a little bit off. <laughs> oh wow. Um, but also, critical race, race theory is a college level course. They don't yeah. teach it in K through twelve. So when Glenn mm-hmm. Youngkin says. I will ban critical race theory in K through 12. The obvious rebuttal is, all right, what are you going to ban next? Uh, (laughs) Fucking ghosts. (laughs) Ghosts? (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you, what are you going to, are you going to ban cows with wings? Are you, are you going to ban, you know, uh, well that's a, that sounds good glenn because reptilian no one teaches, penguins <laughs> yeah
1: critical race theory in school now can we talk about the real issues yeah
0: <laughs> like and the thing is that the, the 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 argument that michael and i have said about when when they bring up the culture war and when they try to straw man you is just sweep it aside don't engage with it just sweep it aside just be like what are you mm-hmm. talking about it's not even taught why aren't we talking about the yeah. economy let's talk about the economy that's what yeah, or like
1: been. or like i'm so glad you brought up schools luckily critical race theory isn't an issue but you know what it is like teacher pay classroom yeah. sizes yes. let's get a, let's fix those yeah <laughs> exactly you know and he and, took but that's the, the thing. fucking like, bait he took the bait and it allowed yunkin to gain a, a, like a lot of ground with this kind of like slightly you know a little bit dog whistly approach of like i want to give parents more control over the curriculum yeah that sounds to a moderate, that sounds really nice. Yeah. To like a more, you know, hardcore, hardline Republican that, you know, that's dog whistly, they can, you know, they make know make sure what that, that there's no nothing about, you know, <laughs> the bad shit white people have done in the curriculum. They know what that means. Exactly. It's like and um and like being able to shut that down would have been a really effective approach.
0: Yeah. And he just he just didn't. Um, He famously said, I don't think parents should have control over what uh, teachers do. And look, I defended that on the pod and I, and I, and I do stand by what I said. I do think that what he meant, which was basically you can't have all individual parents determining curriculum. If a parent objects to the fact that two plus two equals four, you can't change Mm -hmm. the curriculum based on what they want. However, what it came off as is Parents should not be involved in their kids' education. That's yeah, what people took out. it as. Yeah. And that was that was a
1: mistake. I And that's the problem with taking the bait on that. Like we don't even fucking address the question. You don't have to. You know, like it, as soon as you say, you know, uh, you know, well, maybe we should teach critical race theory at school. It's like, if that's what the experts say we should teach it at school, it's like, but out, parents, and then it goes off on this tangent and it just becomes a crappy talking point for the other side.
0: Yeah. If you want to get into it at all, you could say, well, we're not teaching critical race theory on the elementary school level. Um, However, it is important for us to teach history accurately. Boom. You got it. Now move on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yep. That's it. Just just do that. But that's not what he did. He went all in on culture war issues and he spent way too much time nationalizing what should have been a state election. What Youngkin did, which was fascinating and kind of brilliant, devious, but brilliant, is his push was the never Trumpers and the forever Trumpers. Yes. And he had to find a way to be Trump-like enough to keep the Trumpsters in line. So he couldn't say anything bad about Trump, but he also could not directly campaign with Trump. He had to walk that fine line. Yeah. Also, also. Yeah. He needed to make sure that he did not run on any Republican economic policy, which is why, Mm -hmm. as we pointed out, he didn't have a uh, an actual issues page. He had a first day page. All he said, the only thing he said about the economy was lower taxes. Mm -hmm. And of course. When Republicans say that, what they almost always mean is maybe we'll lower taxes a tiny bit for the middle class, but we're mostly talking about rich people. All right? Mm-hmm. When when the Trump but tax cuts But it sounds cuts, nice. <laughs> I've said this I've said this a thousand times, but the Trump tax cuts after 10 years, 80% of the benefits go to the top 1%. All right? That is what Republicans mean when they say we're going to cut taxes. Yeah. Democrats all the time advocate for cutting taxes for the middle class. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it under certain circumstances. Yeah. However, other than that, he completely stayed away from the economy because Republican economic policy is not popular in Virginia. I mean, it's not really popular almost anywhere, even in red States, but Most it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but especially <laughs> in Virginia, he was smart enough to know all I have to do is run a campaign on. I am against critical race theory and he'll win. Yep. And he did. Yeah.
1: And it was smart. No, I, I I completely agree with you. His his strategy was I'm I'm not Trump, but Trump's not bad. Yeah. And I'm definitely not a Democrat. Yeah. And I'm you also and not like, Terry like, McAuliffe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was just like and and he got away with platitudes and kind of, you know, um, statements that would kind of just walk the line. Yeah. You know, I think parents should have more control over their kids' schools like choices in school like boom
0: yeah
1: take it any way you want that sounds you know, good
0: I, yeah when you think yeah it, when I, you hear exactly. it, it
1: sounds good and even when it came to trump it was like vaguely like trump supporting unquestionably good comments you know like when you say i think we should have safe and sure elections who would disagree with that Trumpists interpret it as, oh, he believes the election was rigged, and everybody else is like, yeah, of course our election should be good and secure. Yeah, you know, it's it like, you can just walk that line, and as when you don't run anything
0: down, like an issues page, it makes it way easier. (laughs) And you know what else I noticed, which I actually just kind of now realized, I don't think I saw a single ad from Youngkin in which he called McAuliffe a socialist. That's
1: really interesting.
0: I I don't think I saw a single ad. Like he did not make that a part of his campaign. Yeah, because again, he was. Trying I saw to a bunch st- of stuff about abortions. Yeah, abortion, which I thought was abortion. really
1: interesting. I got a bunch of abortion. Yeah. Mail.
0: Well, well, that's how you. That's how you get the hardliners to yep. to vote for you. Yeah. But the biggest thing was, I'm not Terry McAuliffe. Uh, I'm against critical race theory, and yeah. Trump is okay, Trump had but I'm not Some good Trump. ideas. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. The question is, what should Terry McAuliffe have done? Well, you know, as we've said, the biggest thing he should have done was focus on the achievements of the Democratic Party in Virginia. Mm-hmm. He should have yeah. almost never mentioned Trump. Yeah. Like, honestly, even mentioning him in one ad, I think, would have been one ad too much because he's just he's just not an entity right now. All right. Yeah. Bringing up January 6th. That didn't happen in Virginia. Why would you bring up January 6th? That didn't happen in Virginia. All right. If you want to talk about the lessons from January 6th, like Mm -hmm. the fact that Republicans don't value democracy, that's something you should have talked about. And you know what you could have done? You could have talked about how the Democrats in Virginia expanded voting rights, expanded early voting, expanded vote by mail, expanded the time in which you can register to vote. Talk about that. That's popular.
1: Yeah. The thing, the thing I'm worried about though, is like, not only did we see this in Virginia, you know, we saw, uh, Republicans gain ground in New Jersey where the democratic incumbent who had all of the advantages in the world, uh, won by only a super narrow margin. We lost local seats all over the place. Um, To me, like, Terry McAuliffe could have and should have run a different race. I think focusing on just the mistakes he made, though, may obscure the larger picture of just the overwhelming headwinds that nationally Democrats are facing and are going to face in 2022. Just, we are, at, at this point, like, Democrats are wholly unpopular. Yeah. Especially, like, Biden is really unpopular. And we've got to do something to change that narrative. And it's probably passing really great
0: laws. Yeah. Well, so soon. I think that the lesson from this uh, you, know, I normally, I, you, I would normally, I would have said, yes, absolutely. Um, but I think it goes farther than that. Mm-hmm. So usually what I've said is all you need to do is pass laws that materially improve people's lives and boom, you're going to win. What this less what this election has taught us, is that that's not enough. Not only do you have to pass laws that, material imp- that materially improve people's lives, you need to remind them, hey, yeah. I passed laws that materially improved your life, mm-hmm. and I can do more of that. All right? So there are so many ways in which things got better in Virginia under Democrat un- under democratic rule. That is a good thing. That's the first step. The next step is... Run on that. Jam that down people's throats. Every time Republicans say anything, be like, oh yeah, so uh, what did you do? I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of people having a living wage. (laughs) So number one, on a federal level, Democrats need to pass a strong infrastructure bill, a strong human infrastructure bill. It needs to be stronger than the one we currently have on the table. It needs to be stronger than that. I like a, a few weeks ago, I said this one will probably increase our chances at this point. I don't think it'll be enough. I think you need to put some more popular provisions in there, at least bring back uh, renegotiating of drug prices or paid family leave, like paid yeah. family leave would be huge. Um, that would be huge. You got to do that. And not only that, once you do that, once you pass things that materially improve people's lives, run on that shit. Let people know this was us that did that. Mm Alright? We did that. You know what? You know how you have paid family leave? We did that. You want more of that stuff? Keep voting for us. Alright? When you materially improve people's lives and you run on that, you remind them we did that, you're gonna win. If you take the bait on the culture war, if you try to, if you make everything about Trump, if you try to uh, if you if you try to s- strawman Republicans the way that they strawman you, they can strawman Democrats and get away with it. That's their strategy. Democrats can't strawman Republicans. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. It just yeah. doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And and the point about Trump, like, guys, let's not fucking forget. Almost 50% of the country likes that. Yeah. Right? Almost 50% of the country says, yes, please, more Trump on my plate. Yeah. And then the small sliver of people that are going to waffle between the two parties that might have disliked Trump won't believe you that someone else is Trump. Yeah. They dislike the things about him that make him a horrible, unlikable, evil person. Yeah. Those things are not nearly as obvious in other candidates. It's not going to work to call everybody fucking Trump. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment. Good, actually. So, Nathan, why
0: do we... Do good actually. Well, Michael, we do good actually because you could have sworn you thought you heard her saying, Good girls don't. Good girls don't. Good girls don't. But I do. Because it's a teenage sadness everyone has got to taste, and in between age madness that you know you can't erase till she's sitting on your face. Oh. Okay. I feel like that would have been a tips for good intro. <laughs> it was. And I completely blanked for a second. <laughs> Shit! I'm
1: amazed that you were able to pivot directly to song lyrics. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Wow. Well, I yes. I
0: actually, I just realized, well, it's been a long day.
1: Yes, I believe you. We're keeping yeah, that yeah. in there. I agree. We're keeping that in there. <laughs> Yeah, we're not perfect. Also, you
0: know? because the world sucks. Yes, <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to
1: <laughs> have a reminder that it's not. Have a so reminder
0: sick. that it. You know, if you look, if you look around, yeah, you really might close. see. It really hard. You might notice that good actually is all around us. Like mm-hmm. the moment where you completely forget the intro. <laughs> what segment you're doing? <laughs> yeah, got it feel like Joe Biden, damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Michael. That's too soon, too soon. So Michael. <laughs> what is our good actually this week?
1: Our good actually is actually a good actually, unlike the last yeah. couple good actuallys we've had that have been pretty 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 much downers.
0: Yeah. Sorry um, about that.
1: <laughs> this is an unmitigated good exciting thing. A couple of weeks ago, the first ever US passport with a non-binary gender was uh was produced which is which is huge that's an amazing moment of literal like national recognition for a whole group of people that are traditionally underrepresented and underseen yeah this is a official document with a non-binary indication that you can use to travel all over the fucking world that is huge yeah i'm I was so excited. My heart was so warmed to see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, in the United States, in about 30 states, it is legal to discriminate against trans people, um, like unemployment, public accommodations. And now you have international recognition that, you know, if you're non-binary, trans, you're legitimate. Yeah. And that's, uh, that, 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 that gives me warm and fuzzies, you know. Yeah,
1: I agree. I agree. That is an unmitigated good thing. Because good actually
0: is all around us. <laughs> and that's good actually. So for our next
1: segment, we are talking about <clears throat> taxes, yes. which we, we know, we, you're already hooting and hollering, is everyone's favorite subject people love taxes you're young you're old you're gen zers they all love taxes
0: i mean i'm excited i'm excited i'm excited
1: about taxes. people yeah uh, people love paying them people love talking <laughs> about them people love learning about them people love doing them everything about taxes people love it yeah so I think that by maybe, the end
0: of this segment, maybe that's not right. I think that <laughs> yeah, I might have fucked that one up. <laughs> no, you're good. I I think that by the end of this segment, a lot of you are going to have, <clears throat> an appreciation for the importance of understanding our tax code because the yep. more I read about this, like there there are things that I've said about our tax code that are fucked up and need to change. The more I read yep. about this, the more I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I never realized just how deep corporate loopholes go. And mm. there are so many areas in which I thought, well, if you just do this, then everything would be better, and I am wrong about that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think I think one thing we should also point out to flag just at the top. So as you as we're going through this, like listen for these moments. And something that I've realized more and more is like yes, there are places in our tax code where someone wrote it and they tried to make it really tight and buttoned up and great but there was a, a a problem like like the literal like definition of a loophole oops we didn't actually cover this area it turns out someone can skirt out of taxes but there are places in our tax code many some of them the most egregious that are very clearly intentionally in there for people to pay fewer taxes yeah like it is not an accident yeah something like lower rate on capital gains tax is not an accident it is clearly an explicit choice yeah that advantages the wealthiest people yeah and so like the tax code is something that people have made up over time yeah. it is not fixed it is not you know a law of the universe it is something that people have made up and to to the degree that there are provisions in it that benefit you know subsets of people you know disproportionately either someone thought that, those, that they should provide those incentives and royally fucked up, or there's corrupt intent there. Yeah. So keep an eye out for those spots.
0: Yeah. And there's definitely some interesting history behind it that I do, I do want to make sure that we, we go over, um, which I think will sort of help right. help kind of give us an understanding of how we got here. Because yeah. a lot of it is actually more unintentional Mm-hmm. Not all of it was, you know, a meticulous rich dude. Yeah, saying it's like hard to make tax policy. Yeah, it it absolutely is. It absolutely is, especially especially in the United United States because of yeah. how uh, the Constitution is written, how certain yeah. laws are written. So, and there are lots of people who get paid a
1: lot of money to figure out how to work through the puzzle of the tax code in a way that's advantageous to their clients. Yes, absolutely. Millions of dollars are spent on
0: just that project. So getting, you know, filling all those holes is hard. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to dispel, and this is is a point that I see Republicans, right-wingers, Ben Shapiro, um, make all the time, which is the fact that in the United States, we have a progressive federal income tax rate. Now, for a lot of people, the conversation is over right there. Yeah. All right. And, and
1: and just to be clear, for, for those who might not know, a progressive income tax or a progressive tax is one where, as in as your income goes up, a higher percentage of your income is allocated toward taxes. Yeah. Which is a good thing because not all expenses in your life are variable, and more wealthy people benefit more from the goods that society provides via taxes. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So you know the the tax brackets go ten percent. 12%, 22%, 24%, 22, 32%, 35%, and 37%. All right. You read that and you think, well, that makes sense. You know, rich people pay more, poor people pay less. Maybe it would be nice if they could pay a little bit more. So maybe if we, if we increased the income tax rate for the top earners, then the world would be a better place. Like then we're good. All right. The problem with that is that most of the wealth that is generated, most of the new wealth, the income that is generated yeah. by the, the richest Americans, the billionaires, is not actually income, or at least it's yeah. not actually what we call income. So I, I very carefully referred to it as um, wealth increasing rather than income, mm-hmm. because that's what yeah. it's referred to as. Most of that value actually comes from the stock market, meaning that a lot of these billionaires, a lot of these multi-billionaires, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, most of their money is actually in stocks.
1: Now, yeah. You, you I, know how much Jeff Bezos made in 2020 from his salary at Amazon? How much? $81,000. Yeah. He is the richest man on earth.
0: Yeah, I believe it was actually Steve Jobs that act, that had a a one dollar a year salary mm-hmm. as kind of a because as kind it, of a joke. because
1: a salary is an inconvenience yeah. for them. Yeah, you know who who wants to get paid in cash when you could get paid in basically never ending guaranteed lottery tickets.
0: Yeah. Now, so the question then then here is okay. Well, then how does that get taxed? Well. That answer is a lot more complicated than you might think. So, mm-hmm. the simple version is that they pay the capital gains rate on uh, on money that they make from investments. All right. Now, the capital gains rate, as it stands, goes from zero percent for anything up to for, for a single person for anything up to forty thousand dollars, fifteen percent for forty thousand. To four hundred and forty-one thousand four hundred and fifty, and anything over that, is twenty percent. Yeah. Remember, when we're talking about the the income tax, if we're talking about the 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 highest capital gains rate that you can pay, is lower than the third lowest tax bracket when it, on federal income tax. So already. Yeah rich people who make their money primarily from the stock market are paying Mm -hmm. significantly significantly less
1: yeah even if you realized all those gains which is the big point here like even if you were literally just selling stocks as they as the gains increased you would pay less than most of americans
0: yeah which what michael just hit upon was the next important point now before before I did a little bit more research on this, I used to think, okay, well, a big loophole here that you could close is just to tax the capital gains rate at the same rate that you tax federal income tax.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that would be big, and we should do that. However, even that would not have the difference that a lot of us hope it would have. And yep. the reason for that is that while that money, as, as Michael kind of alluded to, while that money, money is in the stock market, you know, when it has not been liquidated, that money is not considered taxable income. So yep. the wealth increase of the value of your stocks is not considered income, even though effectively that's what it is.
1: So, yeah, Let, let's pause here for an example. So, between 2010 and 2018, Jeff Bezos's holdings of Amazon stock, right? Not cash, stock. The, the value of that stock went up by $100 billion. Hmm. So, over those eight years, he earned $100 billion in value, right? In, <clears throat> over that period, he sold... billion dollars worth of that stock so while he he became a hundred billion dollars richer our tax code only saw that he made 6.3 billion dollars right so that's the difference between realizing and not realizing the gains on your stock realizing means you sell that stock and all of a sudden you get that that increased money as cash right and of that 6.3 billion he paid about $1.5 billion in taxes. Note that if he paid, if that had been salary, he would have paid closer to $2.3 billion. Yeah. Way more, right? So he's getting both a benefit from seeing $100 billion in wealth growth with $1.5 billion in tax expense and also the benefit from a lower capital gains tax.
0: Yeah. But wait, it gets worse.
1: It gets so much worse.
0: So ProPublica actually did a really, really well-researched, well-laid-out article in which they basically calculated the true tax rate of the top 25 billionaires in the United States. So when we say true tax rate, we're talking about... The actual percentage of their income, or in this case, we refer to it as their wealth growth, Mm -hmm. the actual percentage of their wealth growth, which for those of us that work on salaries would just be our income, the percentage of that that was actually paid in taxes. And holy fucking shit, this is going to make your blood boil. All right? So the true tax rate, now this is the true tax rate calculated from the richest people in the country from 2014 to 2018. So even before the pandemic, when a lot of these, yeah. when a lot of these billionaires uh, significantly increased their wealth.
1: Yeah, even before Trump's tax uh, tax credit or you know tax code change.
0: Yeah, even before, yeah, for some of them, even for for yeah, some for of the some, time, for, for some of the for time, for even some before of that, that. Time.
1: yeah, for two years.
0: So. The true tax rate, the actual percentage of their wealth growth that they paid. Elon Musk, (laughs) 3.27%. Michael Bloomberg, 1.3%. Jeff Bezos, 0.98%. Warren Buffett, 0.1%. Yep. Point one per cent. Not even not one percent. Point one percent.
1: Yeah.
0: Holy shit.
1: It's it's mind blowing. It's fucking mind blowing. The people because that have the most To your point, like <laughs> yeah. yeah. We pay yeah, like an you know on average people pay like thirty percent of their salary. Yeah. In the United States, but those people are paying, you know less than 5 less than 3%. Yeah. But Nathan, the thing is though, like these all this wealth is like tied up in stocks, right? So if you and I own stocks, we we're not just going to like sell them to pay our taxes. Like, you know, it's like wealth, it's not like cash. You know, when we get paid in salary, some of that cash goes out, but then it's not like these people actually have like access to spend this money,
0: right? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so What's interesting, and one of the biggest loopholes that allows these billionaires, because again, when you you first look at this, you might think, well, but they don't necessarily have access to this unless they sell it. And as soon as they sell it, they have to pay the capital gains rate. That's not necessarily true.
1: It's not fucking true.
0: Because one (laughs) of the big loopholes that they can do is they can take out loans from the bank and use their stocks as collateral. Yeah, which basically means that they're they're borrowing from their own from from their own network, their own stocks. They're able to use that money to to buy things.
1: Yep, to just to have money like they had a salary,
0: and all they have to do is pay interest, which is extremely low right now. Yeah, they don't have to pay taxes on it. All they have to yeah, do the... is borrow. In fact, um. Last year, Tesla reported that Elon Musk had pledged 92 million shares worth $57.7 billion as collateral for personal loans. All right. This is as of May 29th, 2021. All right. $57.7 billion that he just has access to that he took yeah. out as personal loans without paying taxes. And he doesn't have to pay taxes on any of that, but he can spend as much as he wants. Yep.
1: Yeah. One other point, you know, you might you might think is okay. All right. These billionaires, they accumulate all this wealth, sure. They don't pay income tax, but hey, eventually they're going to die, right? And uh and then, you know, at that point Eventually, this they'll they'll pay this income tax, right? Eventually, they're going to sell this stock, or their state will sell it, or whatever, and people will have to pay, you know, for the capital gains, right? Well, in the
0: words of uh, Donald Trump, wrong, wrong, <laughs> so, so wrong. No, <laughs> yeah. So, what's interesting about the estate tax is it actually is the highest tax rate in the federal code at forty percent. However. A lot of billionaires are very careful throughout their life to make mm-hmm. sure that what act, that, that what they leave behind that that uh, that's supposed to go to like their children. Yep, as little of it is taxed uh, by the estate rate as possible. Now, oftentimes, mm-hmm. what they do this will be massive tax tax dodges, such mm-hmm. as donations to charity. Mm-hmm. They very carefully donate money to charity Um, and they can use the tax deductions from those charitable donations throughout their life in some cases to pretty much bypass the estate tax when they die.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the thing is also
1: when you, when, when these really wealthy people who have earned millions or hundreds of millions or billions or hundreds of billions of dollars of income, base of income right in the form of 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 asset growth that has not yet been taxed when they die that tax bill evaporates Mm. right those incomes those gains are never taxed
0: yeah yeah and we end up we as average americans end up paying significantly more of our wealth, a significantly higher percentage of our wealth in taxes than the people that have more to give. All right. So again, returning to this pro Publica article, they do, they do a really interesting representation of this. So say, so let's look at $100 of income for a typical wage earning American household of that, of that hundred dollars. Um, a typical household is probably going to pay about 14% of that. And we're talking about wealth, not income. All right. We're talking about wealth. You know, if you have a hundred dollars of wealth tip, the typical American household is probably going to pay about 14% of that. All right. Now for most households, the rest of that income is going to go towards other expenses, you know, like uh, um, bills or like food things like that and very yeah. little is going car to actually payment, be yeah. yeah car payments very little of that is going to be left over for savings right the biggest thing that you're going to own if you're if you're an average american the biggest thing that you're going to own that will that will actually increase in value and will actually hold wealth is going to be your house right because a lot of houses ends up end up gaining value over time now much of that growth is going to or most much of that growth is going to make up for the wealth growth of the entire house so most of the wealth growth that you're going to get is not going to be from your salary it's going to be from the amount of uh the the amount of value that is added to your house exactly so let's compare that to a hundred dollars of income for jeff bezos all right so from 2006 to 2018 his taxes were about 21 percent of his income again that's because of what tax bracket he was in because he only took like eighty thousand dollars all right however the income doesn't really matter because when his shares skyrocket and thus his wealth increases your wealth ends up growing significantly more than any income that you have to report to the IRS. So between those years, when Jeff Bezos' wealth shot up by $120 billion, he paid a minuscule proportion of that in taxes. Meanwhile, other Americans are paying more in taxes than you're getting in wealth growth. So more money is being taken from you in the form of taxes than the growth that you get from the amount that your house costs every year, which is usually going to be the biggest thing that you have of value. So to put that into perspective, for every $100 of wealth growth, the typical American will pay 160 in taxes guess how much, be- how much Bezos has to pay for every $100 of wealth growth? $1.09. Uh, uh, we have a regressive fucking tax rate. Yeah. Now you might be asking, how the hell did we get here? That ratio is like almost 100 times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So you might be asking, how exactly did we get here? Well, there's actually some interesting reasons behind that. So first off, Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution explicitly prohibits direct taxes on citizens. So you might hear that and think, well, hold on, but we have federal income taxes. taxes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's because... So, so real quick, back then, um, most of the taxes that the United States government collected came from other sources like uh, consumer goods, you know, tobacco, alcohol, tariffs on imports, things like that. However, as, uh, you know, as, um, as the political climate continued to change and as more programs started to get created and as people started to despise the federal government for all the fucking tariffs, the federal government decided, all right, we need to change our tax code. So that was when the 16th Amendment was passed. So this is in 1913. And this gave the government, quote, the power to lay and collect taxes on income from whatever source derived. So specifically on income. Now remember, in, uh, in Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution, you can't tax citizens... You can't do a direct tax on citizens under most circumstances. So what that means is that because of the 16th Amendment, you can tax their income, but you can't tax anything else. All right? Or at least mm-hmm. you, you can't tax anything else on the individual.
1: Gotcha. Without, so, a, uh, without a constitutional amendment.
0: Exactly. So in in the early days, the personal income tax actually worked exactly as the Congress had intended, meaning meaning that it was primarily the richest people that were paying anything. In fact, only 15% in, in 1918, in 1918, only 15% of American families paid any income tax. Hmm. And this would have been the, the top, like this would have been the top earners. You know, the, the top 1% paid 80% of the revenue that was raised. But then, people started asking questions about what counts as income. So, this was actually decided in a court case. It was called—I uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right—Eisner um, versus Malcomber. So this was this was about uh, th- this was a dividend that um, a woman named uh, Myrtle Malcolmer, a dividend that she got for shares in an oil company, but the dividend was not in the form of cash. All right, it was in the form of additional shares. So, hmm. you know, it was she was able to get an additional share for every 2 shares that she already held, which, you know, was was a dividend, meaning it increased in value but it wasn't liquid money. So, they tried to tax her. She took it to court and the court sided with her. The Supreme Court sided with her. And basically what they said was in order to in order for the US federal government to count something as income, it needs to have been liquidated, meaning hmm. that you, as soon as she sold that stock, as soon as she sold, it's or income. if anybody sells a bond or a building, that counts as income. That is income. But until that happens, hmm. it is not income. And you this have is
1: to turn it into cash in order to make it income.
0: Exactly, and so that hmm. is what created the system that we have today, where we don't count uh, increase in wealth from stocks as income now basically what this led to was a lot of the loopholes that we have today like the loophole that I told you about earlier where billionaires are able to borrow money and use their stocks as collateral and it also leads to the fact that a significant change in the tax code to make it so that the people whose money is making money that that money is, is taxed. That is going to be extremely hard. It's going to take a court case and it's also going, or it's going to take a constitutional amendment. And this part is, I think the part that hurts the most for, for me, this also makes it so that a wealth tax is very likely going to be ruled unconstitutional. Now, Mm. I think that we need a wealth tax. I think we absolutely do need a wealth tax. But if we wanted one, it's probably going to have to come in the form of a constitutional amendment, or we're going to need a Supreme Court that is not made up of six conservatives. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So even there is some legal debate Over whether it would require a a constitutional amendment, like during the primary with the Democrats, like this was sparked by Elizabeth Warren's proposal for uh, a wealth tax, and you know there's been a lot of back and forth on it. And uh, it's not like I don't think it's totally obvious that it would be required, but it's totally possible that it would.
0: Well, it's totally totally likely that it's going to be struck down by the Supreme Court, though. Like, Because the thing is, it doesn't really matter who has the better legal argument. What matters is who's controlling the Supreme Court. And right now, yes. that's conservatives.
1: That is 100% true.
0: So even if we passed it, it, it would not hold up. And that's bad. Yeah. That's terrible. But yeah. that's just the reality. I support the wealth tax. Mm-hmm. I think that we should try to do a constitutional amendment to put a wealth tax. Or we should try to... Fuck it. We should try to pack the courts and then pass a wealth tax. But until that happens, it's not going to, we're not going to be able to pass it. So that kind of brings me to the saddest part of this entire segment, which is the solution. I'm not sure. Yeah. Because right now it is so ingrained into the legal system that you know, there's, a, there's a judicial precedent, which is basically the equivalent of it's in the Constitution, mm-hmm. that says that if an asset is not liquidated, if it's not cash, then it cannot be taxed, which means that the money that, uh, that is just accumulating for, for all these billionaires, can the, the, the increase cannot yeah. be taxed. Money that they can literally spend Money that they can spend. So then I think the only the only recourse here at this point that we might be able to the only loophole that we might be able to close without necessarily a constitutional amendment is the fact that we let we let them uh, take out that income as collateral. Mm-hmm. Or take out that that wealth increase as collateral in order to pay off loans. Mm-hmm or in order to and in order to continue to borrow loans and use that to buy the things they want to buy.
1: Yeah. to provide incentives for them to actually realize their gains.
0: So, there absolutely should be a higher marginal tax rate. No doubt. There absolutely should be a higher capital gains rate. And it should be the income tax. That is absolutely correct. But just those things are not going to going to solve everything. There should yeah. be a higher corporate tax rate. Absolutely. But until we start looking at these massive loopholes meticulously and try to find which ones, first off, which ones do we need a constitutional amendment to solve (laughs) and start fighting for those constitutional amendments? And which ones do we not need a constitutional amendment to solve? Until we start doing that, the rich will continue to get richer while we spend, while we pay a higher tax rate on our on our wealth increase than um than the the amount of wealth that's actually generated for us. Again, a hundred dollars in in uh in your wealth increasing versus a hundred and sixty dollars that you pay in taxes, you're losing money. And comparing that to Jeff Bezos pays like a dollar for Every, for every $100 in which his wealth increases. That's not okay. And the next time somebody claims that the United States has a progressive tax rate, laugh in their fucking face.
1: And now it's time for one of our favorite segments. The D-Bag Award. Yeah. So, Nathan, who is our D-Bag this you week?
0: You know, I was almost tempted to say D-Bag with you because I'm already, I'm already fucking up. <laughs> Sorry. <already. laughs> I'm already mistaking things. Um, so, first off... So, so,
1: first off, why do
0: we do... What is the D-Bag? So, Where did it come from? So, the D-Bag Award, which stands for Dershowitz Bag, um, is an award that we give out for a person who makes an argument that's so stupid... And so self-defeating that we just have to laugh in their face about it. And of course, this is named after Alan Dershowitz for that fateful time that he stood up in front of Congress and made the argument that... With a straight face. With a straight face. That the president cannot possibly do anything that rises to the level of impeachment, including trying to cheat in an election. Because a president believes that it's in the best interest for them to win the presidency. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. And the president can't be impeached for doing something in the best interest of the country. Exactly. That they believe is in the best interest of the country. Yeah. So, Michael, who's
0: our D-bag this week?
1: Oh, man. Is it even a surprise? (laughs) (laughs) This week, our D-bag is none other than the -the stick-in-the-mud stopper of democracy uh, and democratic progress himself, Joe Manchin.
0: Yeah, Joe <laughs> Manchin.
1: <laughs> so, Nathan, what did Joe Manchin do to get it on our show again? So, as many I of like you— feel like he's been on here before, right?
0: I, I don't know, actually. I really I don't, don't know. know. He's got to be an asshat. He's got to be. I don't know. I, <laughs> anyway, um, so you know how there's the, all of these negotiations going on uh, with regarding the, uh, the the human infrastructure bill and mm-hmm. how Joe Manchin is doing all he can to make sure that uh, it's as bad as possible.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: So he had a suggestion for means testing the paid leave program, the paid family leave program. He suggested that there should be a work requirement in order to get paid <laughs> family leave. Now, what's so crazy about that? (laughs) Well, Michael, um, here's the thing. Uh, That's already kind of in the name. (laughs) (laughs) What are you getting paid for and leave from? (laughs) Yeah. In order to actually get paid leave from work, you have to have a job. (laughs) So this, this just this just strikes me as a fundamentally ignorant dude. Yeah. Like, I feel like the, um, the, the Republican in him, just like the, the, the robot switch just, just flipped. And he was like, er, work requirement, work requirement. Er, er. And you know, no what?
1: benefits without work requirement.
0: I, I'm actually kind of disappointed that progressives didn't take advantage of this because this would have been the perfect opportunity to be like, Oh man, Joe Manchin. That's a, Oh, that's a really good ask. You got us, man. Oh, I mean, geez. I Okay, you know what? Here's here's the thing. I We'll do that. All right. We'll put in a work requirement to get paid family leave from work. We'll put that in the bill. But you got to get a, give us something in return cuz this is a big ask. I mean, this is that's <laughs> some really significant means testing right there. So, I I don't know. Maybe like uh can can we throw tuition-free community college back into the bill. And then we'll give you, we'll give you that work requirement. All right. Deal. Like, okay. Oh, That's a deal. And then he, and then he, <laughs> and then he goes back to his donors. You know, he goes back to his corporate donors. He's like, Hey, so uh, guess what? Um, I, 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 I did it again. Uh, I was able to compromise on something. Uh, I was able to put in a work requirement for paid family leave. Uh, uh, Joe, Why would you do that? Oh <laughs> uh, well, because you know uh, they the, they gotta be able to work, you know. Uh, just just the mean testing. you know. We don't want wealth card uh, you know. We don't want any fraud. Okay, Joe. Okay, whatever. But you didn't give up anything for it, did you? Uh, Joe, did you? Uh, oh fuck, Joe. What did you give up? Uh, <laughs> Tuition free community college. God damn it, Joe. What are we paying you for? <laughs> but, you know,
1: with Joe Manchin's record, he would just come out and be like, you know what? That thing I asked for and got, I'm going to ask for something else in the too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he'd probably fucking yeah, get it.
1: This too. is hilarious. And it, it's just so clear that all he's trying to do is throw out fucking roadblocks because he doesn't want his thing to pass. Yeah, It's garbage. So. So. Congratulations, Joe Manchin, for being this week's D-Pass.
0: So for our last segment tonight, we want to talk a little bit about party affiliation, specifically uh, a philosophical, theoretical discussion about the value of identifying yourself within a specific political party. And this is something that I've been struggling with for a while. And this is kind of one of those one of those interesting sort of moments where I think that I have more of an inclination to refer to myself as a Democrat than Michael, even though I think in some ways I I'm a little bit more. I mean, I I I, I have more rage in me when I think about the Democratic Party. <laughs> Of course, that's that's just because that's because Michael's the cool head. You know, he's the he's the he's he's the smart one. I'm the passionate one. Well, I, yeah, right. But I also <laughs> haven't
1: spent a, a huge part of my life affiliated with the Democratic Well, Party, that's the you know,
0: that's the big thing here, because for the longest time and I, I know I, I'm pretty sure I've told this story before for the longest time. For me, it was Democrat, good, Republican, bad. Yeah. And like the the most the most I deviated from that would actually be I I would actually say that Jon Stewart had a a very big impact on my political development Mm. because he introduced me to the concept of, hey, Republican. Hey, Democrats do stupid things, too. Mm. You know, Republicans are terrible. They're fucking idiots. But like Democrats do stupid things, too. So. That kind of introduced me to the concept of, okay, well, we should be critical of of Democrats too. That's probably a good thing. But I'm still a Democrat, and being a Democrat is still good. I mean, the biggest example that I brought up before is the fact that under Obama, I remember thinking, okay, well, yes, he's drone-striking children overseas. And I disagree with that. But that's a disagreement that we have. Of course you're not going to 100% like... Everything that the person in your party saying, you know, of course, you're not going to like them 100%. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with having a few critiques of the person that you're voting for. And then, of course, later in life, I realized, dude, he's drone striking children. That's (laughs) not a disagreement. That's a war crime. (laughs) So. I guess I still have been referring to myself as a Democrat. And I think that for the foreseeable future, I will continue to, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how much I actually value the Democratic Party itself. Like, I value it much more as a means to an end, Yeah, and I really wish that I wasn't tied down by it. Like, Mm. (laughs) if the electoral system were any different, like, if, if we had, if we got rid of the electoral college and we had ranked choice voting, I would almost certainly no longer be a Democrat. Yeah. But Interesting. Yeah, and the thing is, I know a lot of people that have basically my same ideology and don't refer to themselves as Democrats but still vote for Democrats 100% of the time. And I guess my thought there is, who are you kidding, though? You're always voting for Democrats. Doesn't that make you a Democrat? So I want to know what your thoughts on that are because I... I know that you have no feelings of loyalty towards the democratic party, but you still do, you know, you, you have a similar, you, you, you and I have a very similar ideology and a very similar, uh, a very similar voting record as well. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's, I've had a really, I think I've had an interesting experience with like party affiliation. Um, so I will say I do not feel like affiliated necessarily with like the Democratic Party. But the other day when I was voting, I did feel pride, which was the first time I'd ever felt that for like the people out there that I saw, you know, trying to get people to vote for McAuliffe. And I was yeah. like I felt communion with them for the first time of any political thing, which was a very weird experience. And I assume that is the basis for like feelings of attachment or identity related to party yeah. affiliation yeah um for me like obviously you know and like most listeners i i imagine would know as well as like i grew up in a you know uh a relatively conservative household and well libertarian one well and that's an imp- yeah yeah conservative small c and uh at least politically and um and very libertarian and and not even but like even the libertarian yoke we would shed right like we we kind of dissed libertarians cuz we we're like well what do they actually think like they don't really actually believe anything they just believe in like freedom or some bs you know we were like the philosophical elite the kings or whatever it was <laughs> bs too but 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 the important thing is like everyone in my family explicitly rejected affiliation with any party which is it's lucky in virginia you don't have to be registered for a party to vote (laughs) in primary um and so it was like a very kind of explicit thing that like everybody was doing stuff that was wrong we were trying to take a philosophical approach and that meant that you know we weren't going to go with the party yeah that being said i just think i think that i like have never i don't think i've developed the Feelings of loyalty to like any party, which means it's helpful actually. I think sometimes because I don't feel let down by a party, I feel disappointed when things go poorly that I think should have gone better. And the more mm-hmm. I learn, the more I get disappointed when you know Democrats don't win um, because I think they're ultimately making the better uh, choices. Um, but I don't really feel like connected to that. And, and in some ways it's something I wish that I did. I think it would be like, I think there's real power in emotional connection to rational ideas. Right. It's like a very motivating thing. It would be so much easier to like go canvas for the Democrats if I felt like a Democrat. Yeah. And I think that's where party affiliation really is important. Like it's an important motivating factor. Yeah. Um, it's also an important shortcut, yeah. right? Like, it's, it's really important that you are able to see on your ballot who the Democrats are when, when you don't know their names, right? Yeah. When it's a small, you know, position and all you know is, like, there's a D next to their name and therefore there's no ballot splitting and you go with that person. Yeah. Um, not, the, not the best way to vote, but, like, a really important function, that shortcut is a really important function of party yeah. affiliation. Yeah. Um, so I think there really is value there. Uh, I've just never really experienced it personally.
0: Yeah. And I think that one of the things you brought up, I think might also explain it, some other things, which is I actually do have some very fond memories mm-hmm. uh, canvassing for the Democrats. Yep. Working the polls with my dad for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. One of, one of my favorite memories was when I was 13 years old and this was the this was the uh 2008 election of Barack Obama hmm. against John McCain hmm. and i was i was standing in front of an elementary school with my dad handing out sample ballots to people yeah and you know i i was 13 i couldn't vote but i felt like i was doing something yeah you know and i i remember actually arguing with <laughs> arguing with the republicans who were there who were perfectly <laughs> fine people they were nice people sure uh yeah. but having I, I guess I should say having a discussion about the Iraq war. Cause that was the only thing that I knew that was the, that was my political issue. That was the only political issue that yeah. I really knew anything about back then. Um, hmm. and that was, that was a very fond memory. And I've, I've worked the polls many times throughout my life hmm. for, for various, for various democratic candidates. Um, I've met several politicians, several democratic politicians uh, I have spent time at like events for Democrats, and I, I remember this one particular one that I went to at a at a coffee house for this was this was in Winchester, um, mm. at a at a, a coffee house in Winchester, in which there were a lot of people that I had previously voted for for several different mm. uh, se- several different offices that were there, and I got to talk with them. And there is this community of like we would talk about, hey, look, we're here to stand up. We're we're first off, we're Democrats in Frederick County, Virginia, which is a very yeah. red place. So there is the sense yeah. of this is a place where you're around people that have a similar have similar thoughts to you, similar values. All right. People that believe that no matter who you love, you should be treated equally or what gender you identify as you should be treated equally or, you know, people that believe that the minimum wage should, should be increased. People that believe that corporations have too much power and it felt good to be around other people that had a similar ideology. And look, when I go to, to local democratic party events nowadays, most of them, still have the same ideas that I have. A lot of the same ideas mm-hmm. I have. Like my grandmother, who, you know, if you're, if you're listening, grandma, I love you, shout out. <laughs> but my grandma and I, like she, is much, she has much more loyalty to the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's much more of a, I consider myself a Democrat and I think Democrat good. When I talk to her about political ideology she and I agree on almost everything. Like we agree on healthcare. We agree on taxes. We agree on corporate power. We agree on taking money out of politics. Like when we talk about things, we agree on almost everything. And yet she still thinks like, you know, Nancy Pelosi is great. She still thinks that Joe Biden is great. And I think that maybe what's keeping me in the democratic party are you know, not necessarily the people who were actually electing, but the voters who have that same ideology, who want that same ideology. Because the thing is, the reason why Democratic politicians, even the corrupt ones, even the ones that are, you know, are sellouts, have have to eventually do some good things is because the people that put them there want those good things, all right? The people that put them there advocate for those good things so the actual democrats that are voting the 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 voters not the elected people but the voters most of them have i would say the right views on most things Hmm. the issue is that the elected democrats are not representing them but they're still beloved because of the tiny little crumbs that every now and then they can do.
1: That's so interesting. So it's not party affiliation. It's like community affiliation.
0: Kind of. Yeah. Mm. Again, it's, I would never, I would never, you know, worry. I would never care about community affiliation if it meant changing what I believe, but that's the thing. I don't have to.
1: That's what brings the community.
0: Exactly. So even Mm. when I'm, you know, even with all the time that I spend bitching about, Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or or Terry McAuliffe. When I talk to my grandma, who loves Terry McAuliffe, Joe Biden, and Nancy Pelosi, when we talk about individual issues, we agree on almost everything. So, like, we don't even necessarily have to have a disagreement. And when Democrats are doing good things, we can have a conversation about that. And we're like, hey, yeah, this this happened. This was good. I'm glad this happened. Kudos, <laughs> Biden. You know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think that's what's keeping me identifying as a Democrat.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe that'll get me to identify
0: as a Democrat someday. <laughs> well, I'm not I mean, again, I'm not trying to necessarily tell you to identify as a Democrat. Like no.
1: I do I'd, I do think, think it's my aversion to groups as an identity to yeah. begin with. Like I never went to church. I went yeah. to like uh, the 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 closest knit community that I've identified with is like being a uva student and yeah. even then like i think I, I i try to be a pretty atypical uva student so <laughs> it I yeah. may not be you know that effective at it but like i just like i've all my whole life been really aver like had a big aversion to like incorporating group identity into my personal identity yeah um, which is like for me like i find that a challenge because i i find that removes a lot of that like personal feelings of motivation to achieve group goals. Yeah. Um, and I think we shouldn't lose those because ultimately that's what's going to let us win. And with that, we will end our show as we usually do on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week?
0: My highlight this week is the fact that this was an uh, informative speech week for my students Hmm. And I'm always really proud to proud of their work. You know, I'm always I'm always proud to see the the fruits of the work that they've been doing. I, I spend a bunch of time standing up there speaking, and hmm. it's always nice to to see them actually incorporate some of those things that we've talked about. <laughs> and it's kind of it's like a reassurance of oh, so what I'm saying isn't just going in through one ear and out through the other like (laughs) this is actually this is actually making them better public speakers and they did really well i was i was really impressed with them and i was really i was really happy to watch them
1: great that's that's got to be really gratifying yeah
0: what about you michael what's your highlight uh i have no idea
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think i think my highlight was this past weekend it was like i got some dining out hanging with friends i got some time to chill and relax um the weather's getting colder so i got some time in the cool weather outside um so yeah it, w- it was really nice and uh and then this week at work was not not too overwhelming so that's a win-win sweet bro <laughs> and with that thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum and you'll hear from us again next week